You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Craven Cottage, make some noise for the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. And it is the Thursday Club back for another week. Lots to get into. Dom's Diaries from Portugal as we had one nice and one not so nice results in the double header in the Algarve. Also, lots to get into today with regards to sponsorship. Manor Solomon being spotted out in the Algarve. And as ever, this will catch on and some correspondence at the end of the podcast. We've got an extra guest on today's Thursday Club. Don Betts, hello. Hello, mate. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Dom's Diaries from the pre-season tour in Portugal. We've been robbed for the past two years because of COVID, but we're so happy that it's back. We'll get into all the antics in a second. And the regular duo of Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, Sammy. How are we doing? Fine, thank you. Uh, sorry for the uh, the pun at the top of the podcast. Both of you shook your heads very disapprovingly. No, mate, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> it, is <laughs> it is what it is. So you've got to take those things. Um, but alas, you know, very good. It, it was good. I thought you were going to say we had one niece and one not so nice. But, you know, here we are. Well, that's why, look, you're on a level above me, Jack, in terms of what you can deliver. <laughs> I don't know about um, In terms of your uh, linguistics at the top of the podcast. But yeah, I probably could have uh, emphasised it. I came up with it on the fly. Anyway, let's get into all the antics from Portugal over the weekend. As I said, it's become a bit of a tradition now. Peter, this is first time potentially for Peter, um, given that you joined us kind of during 2020. But it used to be a right of passage that once a year Don would come on the podcast and tell us all about his antics from his pre-season jolly up normally somewhere random in Europe uh, Dom you are back from the Algarve how was it first and foremost oh it was great I mean you can't really beat a Fulham Algarve trip I think this is now my fourth in the last like eight years but it's actually the first time we've actually been put at the Algarve ground that was used in Euro 2004 um, yeah it was nice to have two games as well often it's just Usually the one game was lost. Last time it was that defeat to Porto. Um, time before that, I think I want to say it was Celta Vigo. And then I remember playing Villa in a training match as well. But these have all been at sort of weird grounds dotted around the Algarve that are sort of solely there for pre-season games. But it was nice to be actually at the Estadio Algarve for these two. And uh, how much of each game did you see? I saw all of the um, the Nice the Nice game. Uh, I left after 29 minutes of the Benfica game because we said we were going back to the bar when we became 3-0. So... To be fair, I, I think, and, and Jack sniggers, but 3-0 down in a preseason against Benfica, there's no way you're not at the bar, Jack. No, I, I just would have come back. <laughs> what, just got on a plane? No, 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 no. I would have gone to the bar. I completely, I oh, completely no, so, emphasized in, the, the, the concept in, of going Inside to the, the ground itself was alcohol-free, so you had to go out, leave oh, the ground to okay, go back to the bar. Right, okay, all right, I'll give you a bit of leeway then. Go on then. Have a and then Dom, um, you know, paint the picture the rest of the trip where did you stay what were the highlights did you get put in a gulag for the evening what happened no none of that this this year unfortunately but uh, no I flew flew in on Friday um sort of evening I landed I think about eight o'clock uh yeah and then went went out went out Friday uh we're staying in Albufeira I mean where else you gonna stay in the Algarve when you got when you got a nice weekend I guess you could be a bit nicer and go to Villamora but uh, that's not me um, yeah, so had the, had, the, had the Friday night out, and I mean it was nice that both games were kicking off at like eight in the evening, so you still had the whole day to enjoy, to enjoy before ruining your day by going to the game, and then have, having having your night out in the evening after. Um, the only issue is the ground is I don't know if people know where the Estadio Algarve is, but it's basically in the middle of nowhere. If you if you if, you, if you've ever come out of Faro Airport, you've, see, you've probably seen it off the motorway, but it's not exactly like a built-up area with anything around it. You've got you, there was literally like a little pop-up bar by the ground. And that that was about it. But yeah, no, it was good staying out here. I had a decent hotel. 
had a had a pool next had a pool next door. The beach was only a five minute walk away, so perfect location, really. Is someone making their breakfast next to you, Dom? Uh, there's some there's someone making noise in the kitchen. Oh, fair enough. I was just like I could hear, feel like I can hear someone doing the washing up or something like that. No, that's fine. <laughs> but hey, as long as it's not too yeah, loud, mate. Grand. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. It's part of the. Uh, it's part of the joy of the beyond, podcast. Beyond. Yeah, it's. Beyond, it sounds beyond, like yeah. you're in some. Uh, maybe like it could be a Parisian cafe or something like that. No, I would never um, be in Paris. Don't like it. Oh yeah, fair enough. Maybe it could have been a Portuguese cafe. Anyway, yeah. a cafe nonetheless. Um, so the two games, Peter. Um, as I say, a good win and a good penalty shootout win uh, against Nice on the Saturday. A five-one defeat to Benfica on the Sunday. Um, Benfica also could have won by even more. So. Look, preseason games don't matter too much. Funnily enough, though, the win that we got was with a much more experimental team than the one that saw a five-one defeat. Um, it was a pretty young lineup that that played against Nice, and uh, a solid result with a, with a couple of impressive cameos in there too. Yeah, it was a mixed Nice lineup as well, and I think you know Marco Silva and his team realised that Benfica were probably going to field a, a strong team on the Sunday, and they they sort of planned accordingly. Um, Obviously, that didn't help with the result. But as you say, Sammy, that the results aren't necessarily the important thing. Um, the scoreline, we don't really know where Fulham are at in terms of their fitness, what they've been doing in the build-up to the games, that kind of thing. So in terms of the actual games, like it's not that big an issue. But I think when you actually take a step back and look at those two games in isolation and you look at how the team is set up, you look at the number of players who've travelled, the fact that there are only five senior defenders with them, if you don't count Marlon Fossey, who technically is senior but hasn't played competitively for Fulham, you know, you can see that this is not very strong, uh, a strong team. And um, I think that's probably was my main take on him. I think for, with the Nice game, you're definitely right. I mean, the, the cameos were great. And I thought the youngsters did really well. Um, Conor McAvoy and Idris Odetayo together. Obviously, they played a lot through the age groups. Um, both of them were really composed in in the scenario, you know, it was a mixed up Nice team, but it was still there's still some good players, and now obviously Mario Lamina was starting, uh, as Fulham fans will all know. Um, and both of them were good. Both of them were really tidy. You know, through the back four hadn't played for Fulham competitively. Sylvester Jasper looked really lively. Luke Harris, as always, both of them affected the game. Both of them won the penalties with quick thinking and quick feet. Uh, Jay Stansfield, I thought, was good in both games. Uh, and you know that that's probably the most encouraging thing. But then you know you, you take a step back again and go. You don't really want to be playing those kind of youngsters um, in those games. Obviously, it's a good opportunity for them and you want them to get, to get minutes. But, um, you know, it was a, a, a young team that did really well. The clean sheet was important. And I think particularly for the likes of Odotayo and, and McAvoy, you know, looking for loans in the EFL, playing that kind of way in that kind of performance on that kind of stage is, is a real boost. And if there are clubs watching them, then that, then that will certainly help them. Yeah, I thought Idris Odetayo, um, from what I saw of it, had had an impressive performance. Had an amazing clearance off the line, uh, Jack, to to stop a, an almost certain um, Nice goal. Do we think really any of that starting lineup, barring obviously there was a couple of first teamers in there like Harrison Reed and, and Anthony Robinson, but apart from the kind of ones that we know are first teamers, is there anyone there that we really see making a push for the first team squad? I suppose, you know, you're looking at Stansfield and Harris, right? They're, they're the two who have, I suppose, lit things up, you know, in, in so many ways. And and I think obviously with, with Fabio leaving, there's always going to be kind of a little bit of a clamour in the fan base to have someone knocking, not necessarily starting, obviously. This is the Premier League. It's, it's not the championship. And there are going to be, you know, more difficult games across the course of the season. So it's harder to throw youngsters in. I think that's important. Um, but equally, in the same way, you do want to have the young who you do think are kind of on the brink, knocking on the door. Now, I think a lot of people thought that that was going to be Sonny Hilton. He's obviously gone out on loan to Carlisle. Um, and so I suppose there is that kind of edge of the squad space that, that does open up for someone who, who st- sticks around and plays sort of mostly 21s football and then can can be in and around the senior squad a little bit more. Um, obviously, Ole O'Neill signed a new deal as well, and there's been a bit of chat about him being in and around it. But Luke Harris was the one, who, I think, who stood out. Um, I thought McAvoy and... Yeah, it just did really well. Um, considering that, uh, you know, Conor McAvoy on loan at Worldstone has 
played a lot of football at right back rather than centre back. To chuck him back in in the centre of a pairing was, was pretty bold, I thought. So um, for for him to come in and, and do well, he was the quieter of the two, I would suggest. But that's okay as well. Um, and yeah, I, I thought they did well, but I. I can't see too many standing out here. Sylvester Jasper obviously went to Hibs on loan last year. They decided not to take up their option. Um, so there's there's question marks there over whether he has you know a future within this squad. But if he's going to play in the way that he did in that game, then you think that he might well get a shot at the very least. So um, I think no one, you know, everyone played pretty well of, of the youngsters. Um, no one, no one made a fool of themselves, which is ideal. Um, that was left to the seniors. Um, but it was, you know, one of those games where obviously it's it's a little bit hit and miss. The Nice side was a little bit hit and miss as well. There were some senior players, as Peter says. There were also some unknown names. You look at that Benfica side then that played against us in that second game, and it is a really strong side, and there's no getting away from that. Um, Don, was there anyone particularly in the Nice game that, that stood out for you as, as, as we've referred to quite an experimental side? I mean, the, the team in full, Marek Rodak, Marlon Fossey, Conor McAvoy, Idris Odetayu, Anthony Robinson, Harrison Reed, Nathaniel Chalaba, Sylvester Jasper, Luke Harris, Nice Cabano and Jay Stansfield. So yeah, just in the ground, was there anyone that can kind of particularly caught the eye or was it just the halftime bar? Oh no, no bar because it was dry. Um, Idris Odotayo was probably at the starting 11 the players stood out most I'd say and then Thierry off the bench I thought did really well when he came on as well um, obviously when it, when it comes to players who are sticking out you're not going to be really looking at <clears throat> you, we weren't really looking at the likes of Robinson, Reed, Chalabar uh, Cabano as you mentioned um, obviously we've seen bits of Stanford in the League Cup earlier on in the season when he scored that goal at St Andrews but yeah I'd say um, Idris Odotayo and Thierry off the bench I'd say were sort of the two standout players for me from the Nice game and then Peter, moving on to Benfica on the Sunday night. I was kind of optimistic after the Nice game because I mean we had two victories, didn't we? We won the uh, won the game, then won the penalty shootout. I was like, right, Sunday night, sit down, watch a bit of uh, Fulham Benfica. How let's see how this goes. And um, well, it was a bit of a nightmare, really, wasn't it? Uh, quick fire goals from Benfica. They, they felt like they were three 0 up um, before we'd even had a chance to blink. Um, and, and this was a much stronger uh, lineup from. Fulham, um, pretty much uh, what you'd expect to be approximately our first team, barring obviously potential new signings coming in. Um, Benfica just blew us away a little bit and don't want to read too much into it, but some of the defending was was a bit of a shambles. And if there weren't alarm bells about defenders before, I feel like this this raised them a bit. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you can't deny that when you watch the game back. I mean, it was... It was pretty poor, to be honest. So some of the defensive errors. It was it was quite easy for Benfica. Um, the way they sort of cut through Fulham with ease. I mean, Fulham were creating chances for Benfica with the mistakes they were making. Um, you know, with the game three 0 down after what was it, half an hour, if that, mm. um, the game was pretty much done. And you know, then it suddenly it really is all about the fitness levels. And I suppose that's that's the cower, isn't it? It's that you know that's what these games are for at this point. But you're right. I think in that it did. Right, like you know, play on the concerns that are already there. You know, I mentioned earlier that it's a thin squad that's gone out there to Portugal. Um, the reinforcements are needed and wanted. Um, and then when you get a result like this and the performance like that, then it's just going to further well, raise it, raise the issue, isn't it? Um, and there's no doubt that Fulham need to bring in um, reinforcements, not just in the sense of you know, taking the players' positions in the field, but actually depth as well. I mean, it's when you do have essentially two senior centre-halves out there um, with obviously Terence Conglade back at Motspur Park, you, you, you know, you, it's, 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 it's concerning because the first game of the season is Liverpool. Um, and sure, the fitness levels will improve and I'm sure they'll be much sharper coming into that game. But by this point, you know, you don't, you don't want to have a result like the one we saw. And, and Benfica were a full-strength team, you know, the Champions League quarter-finals last year. But at the same time, it was, you know, it was very easy for them. The mistakes were really bad. Um, I don't know. I, one thing I noticed, obviously, and Dom may have, may have noticed this himself having been there and looking you know, at what was a quieter ground against Nice, is just how vocal Marek Rodak is as opposed to Paolo Gazzaniga. Like, Gazzaniga does talk, but nowhere near to the same extent that, that Rodak does. And I wonder of the two why sometimes you can get these, these score lines. Um, I, don't, I don't want to pick out Gazzaniga, and I don't really want to pick out any player and say that in particular, we had bad games because everyone seemed to, to be honest. I don't think anyone really shone. Um, but it was something I sort of, it was a reminder really, because it's something I remember from when we were playing pandemic football and behind closed doors and you can hear 
how different players communicate. Um, Ariola was very good at that, and, and so too was was Rodak. Um, but yeah, the, the, the pluses were the, the new signings. Andreas Pereira looked sharp, as you'd expect. Obviously, he's come mid-season from Flamengo. You know, they, that season's ongoing, so he was ready to play. Palinha was a bit rusty, I thought. I don't think it was his best performance. You could see yeah, what agree. he was good at, but it, what, it wasn't great. But then again, you know, the midfield is really fluid. You know, you're playing Pereira and Kearney in there. Um, there's not that much bite, especially seeing Silver play Chalaber and Reed the night before. So you've got Palinha sort of exposed really, and against a very attacking team. So there are lots of different elements to why that result happened. Um, but obviously it's a concern and the obvious is, you know, it's said we said before, we'll say it again, Fulham need to, need to strengthen. It was kind of like a home game, Dom, for, for Benfica, wasn't it? There was 13,000 fans um, in the stadium. Um, uh, obviously, there was a few hardy Fulham souls there. And I did hear a couple of the chants come through on, on the telly. So congrats to yourself and, and the rest of you that made a little bit of a noise um, in, in amongst it. But so difficult atmosphere. Obviously, there was a, it felt like a bit of a meltdown after the game, maybe because of some of the defending. How much are you reading into, into that game? I mean, like I think it just shows that we need defensive reinforcements. I don't think it means I, we should be panic stations going into Liverpool in was it two and a half weeks' time. But it does show that there is reinforcements need to be made if we want to do something this season and, and sort of try and actually stay up this year. But I said it's not really; it's a preseason friendly. I mean, there's 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 times where I've seen players play in preseason friendlies, and you're like, oh, they're going to be great for us next season. I think the main one that sticks out to me was I think. Not when we, I think it might be when we first came down. I think we signed Costa Staffelidis, and I think it was away at Motherwell and away at Crawley. We were like, oh, this, this guy's going to be a really good left back for us this season. And then he was absolutely toilet for, for all of it. So I don't think, I think the result is concerning, losing, losing in that manner, but I don't think it's time to panic. I think it, ju- it just shows that we do need reinforcements into this side quickly because I think the biggest issue, my, my biggest issue actually isn't to do with the result. My issue is that we, all these players that we've been linked with for a while, you're talking about Burnt Leonard, you're talking about Kevin and Babu. Uh, we've been sort of slightly linked. It's a deal, but with the West Ham injury to Agar last night, who knows what's going to happen there. But it would just be nice to have more signings on this preseason towards Portugal to get them to embedded into the squad. You don't want to be signing them within a week of the Liverpool game. And then just, you know, if, they, if it, for example, if they're signed in that week, they won't even have the Villarreal friendly to sort of have as a as a game before the Liverpool game. So I think that's the thing that sort of annoyed me most is that we didn't have more signings in to get him embedded on this trip. But you speak about, obviously, the fans. Yeah, I think, and when it comes to the vocality of the goalkeepers, I think you could definitely hear it on the first Saturday night because obviously there was a lot less fans there. I think there was probably maybe 100 or Fulham fans, maybe maybe a bit more. Um, and then there was, I think I think we saw one Nice fan at the game and then there was a few <laughs> sort of... Um, Local Portuguese, local Portuguese people who sort of turned up, turned up for the game. If there's a game on their doorstep, I'm sure uh, they're going to get, they're going to turn up. There's not really a, a massive team down in the Algarve or anything. But yeah, that Benfica game was crazy. Even when we were getting the taxi from Albufeira to to the ground, which is only about half an hour, like the queue was so was so much longer than it was on on the, on the day before. Even when we, and going to the bar, it was so much busier. Uh, so as you said, it was basically it was basically like basically was a home game for them because uh, you know Benfica, you know one of the biggest teams in Portugal up there in the top three, obviously with. Um, sporting and Porto and obviously there's, quite, there's going to be loads of Benfica fans down in the Algarve and they probably don't get to see them too much so if they come down there to play they're going to turn up but and they said with the quietness you could tell that right, it's a lot lot louder because you are hearing basically everything on the pitch but yeah I don't think it's too much to look into I just I, I actually think the best thing to see was see what some of these youngsters can do because we we hear a lot about these youngsters um, you know we've heard about Sonny Hilton for a while we've heard about Luke Harris, we don't want another situation where we're getting nothing for our youngsters without seeing them. For example, you know, people always talk about um, Matt O'Reilly and seeing what he did at Celtic last season. You, you people, even if if we look at, you know, I know we had Dembele for six months but or, or a season, but that was really about it. That's all we really saw from him. So I think people are, are worried about losing these youngsters and, and see what they go on to do. Even, even Harvey Elliott, for example, we, well, we saw him play two or three games and, you know, Young Cop sees him in the first team at Liverpool now. So, um, but if, for example, we kept Harvey Elliott, would he be playing? Who, who knows if he'd be playing that much for us? No, no, one really, no one can really tell. So I hope these these youngsters are proving to Marco Silva that they can. I know, I'm not saying they're going to start in the Premier League and stuff, but you know, when we if we ever carry a cup game, there's no reason why I don't want to see Idris or Detaya be, be playing in that game. There's no reason I don't want to see Luke Harris playing in that game. There's no reason why Tiohi can't be part of the squad if Jay Sands was starting that game. So 
I think these youngsters, I want, I do want to see them be be part. If they're not playing, but even training with the first team squad this season, because they clearly showed they've that they've got the ability against a decent Nice side. Well, we'll leave um, the Portugal review there. Obviously, one of the big stories was Mana Solomon being spotted at the Nice game. So we'll get into that after the break. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy James here with Jack Collins, Peter Rutzler and Dom Betts. Thank you to all of you guys uh, backing Fulhamish over on the Fulhamish community, supporting the pod, supporting the work we do, uh, making sure that we can fund all of our bits of content. And for you guys supporting us, you do get access to our exclusive Telegram group where we chat all things Fulham. The transfers group absolutely pops off every single day. As soon as there's a rumour, there's always uh, people discussing it in there. And of course, our tickets, pubs and away days uh, chat is starting to liven up now with a few people starting to plan trips. I know a few people have booked their Wolves tickets for the uh, first away day of the season. Uh, If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by heading to fullamish.co.uk and click on the tab that says support Fullamish and all of the details are there. But of course, if you can't support Fullamish, everything stays free and you can enjoy listening, watching, reading all of our stuff uh, for absolutely nothing and that is completely, completely fine. Right, let's get into Mana Solomon then, spotted uh, by the cameras uh, during the Nice game. And we talked about, Jack, the fact that we were pretty certain that Mana Solomon was going to sign in last week's podcast. But I guess this is all the proof that we needed. This is a done deal. It's literally waiting for formalities, surely. Or am I jinxing things by saying that? No, I feel if you're sitting on the bench in, in front of training gear, we can kind of vaguely assume that this one is done. Now, obviously, nothing is concrete until everything is signed and the paperwork is over the line. But I think this is about as as much as you can ask for without yeah. full confirmation. Um, it probably does just lie back to, to where we are in terms of uh, the the whole thing about it being August 1st and the FIFA ruling. So so that's where you know we've got to, clearly. Um, it's obviously good that he's out there in Portugal and, and blending in with the group just goes back to Dom's point earlier where he was saying, you know, we wanted more players here in Portugal. And I think it's important, not just because, you know, you get that blend and you understand a little bit more of the game time, but also for squad morale, right? It doesn't feel like someone's coming in and just usurping your squad straight away. So if mm-hmm. someone comes in on that last week before Liverpool and is chucked into the starting 11, the player replaced is going to think, well, hang on. Have I not earned my spot in pre-season with the performances I've put in, etc.? Equally, we've seen what's happened in the past where Fulham signed late and the first games where the squad wasn't quite up to the, you know, up to cutting it actually was was a major problem. So it's a bit six of one, half a dozen the other, but you know, you you kind of you can you can get around this by getting players in early. Now, again, it's not as easy as it's always said to be, but Clubs are showing that it can be done. And I think, you know, we're looking at that and thinking, okay, Mana Solomon being there is good. The fact that he can't play competitive football with this squad is not so good, but at least he's there and blending in and uh, and becoming part of this team and understanding, you know, what the dynamics of the change room are like, because I think all of those things are just as important. Um, Peter, you wrote uh, an article that came out uh, this morning uh, about the Mana Solomon uh, situation um, and it's a lot about what we talked about previously, this, this changing of the FIFA ruling, but I, it was, I, I, I found this particularly fascinating. There was a few kind of bits of detail that maybe we hadn't covered in, in last week's podcast. And it's such a difficult moral question. I came out of the article less clear about my opinion on this than I was before, because as far as I understand it, FIFA have changed this rules. Effectively, by changing those rules, it slightly pulled the rug from under Shakhtar Donetsk. And it means that clubs like Fulham, but we're not the only ones, have noticed an opportunity that we can effectively get Mana Solomon for a season without paying a fee. By the time the season's over, he'll have less than six months on his contract. Fulham effectively, if we play things right, could save themselves seven and a half million euros. And it's been a lot of discussion about it, but Fulham are a business and not many businesses will pass up the opportunity to save seven and a half million euros. However, you talked about all the support for Ukraine and the fact that Fulham showed solidarity, yet we are more than happy to save seven and a half million. However, it's FIFA that have brought in this ruling. I'm I don't, I mean, whether you want to share your opinion on this or not, I, I, I don't know, but 
I'm no wiser because it's almost like a three-pronged triangle where everyone's a little bit to blame, but probably it is mostly on FIFA. But then also there's reasons why FIFA have done this. They're looking out for the welfare of the players, trying to make sure they don't get stuck in Ukraine. It's it's very messy. Yeah, it's, I think it comes back to the fact this is all unprecedented. Um, and then, you know, when you're having to make these decisions like this at this point, you're going to get these kind of scenarios and you're dealing with an industry that, you know, is not all you know sweetness and light it's not football is a brutal industry um it treats people badly it can it focuses on very harsh fine margins and jobs come and go and um footballers are picked up and dropped and and in this situation you've got a club that's been affected by war losing its best assets um it's it's a difficult one i think my, my opinion on is it is that it makes me deeply uncomfortable the whole thing you know it's the, the, the main question from, from my piece today, and you, you summed it up pretty well there, Sammy, the fact that there are lots of different uh, points to the argument. It's not just a clear cut Fulham should pay, but the, the big question is whether Fulham should have just paid Shakhtar Donetsk. And it's part of the, part of the question with all of this is that there isn't necessarily considered is, is that there's some practicality elements. You know, we talked about Solomon being with the team, which is good, which is encouraging. Um, but also it's a 12 month period that they'll have Solomon and there's still six months to run on his contract. Now, technically, they can't negotiate a pre-contract agreement until the final six months of his contract, which is what he will be when his time with Fulham ends. And you have the situation potentially where Solomon does very well and suddenly have, could have more options. Or the flip side, of course, is that he does very badly and Fulham can move him on without having to pay very much at all. Um, it's, it's a really, as I said, it's, it's, it's uncharted territory. Um, and there's no question that I think that it came to comes across from Sergei Palkin's comments. Um, he spoke to my colleague Adam Crafton earlier in the week, basically outlining the ways in which Shakhtar have been affected by FIFA's rulings, um, particularly since the middle of June. And we talked about the different steps last week. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to go too much into the detail of those again, but what it basically has done is meant that Shakhtar have not been able to sell the players and they are now suing FIFA at the Court of Arbitration for Sport to the tune of 50 million euros for lost transfer fees. Um, as you mentioned, Sammy, it's not just Fulham, but Fulham are very much an actor in this. Um, and so the question has to be asked them whether they should have just paid, paid Shakhtar, who themselves are owned by a billionaire, but are currently, you know, have just been touring Europe on a global tour for peace and... Um, and have been, you know, the players have been affected by war, their staff have been affected by war, they're, they're setting up refugee centres, you know, they're doing a lot. So there's not an easy answer, I think, is the, the bottom line with it. And I think we can all set, feel that sense of unease at the fact that this has happened. Um, but it's, it's, it's certainly not a, a clear-cut thing, in my opinion anyway, um, when you consider the fact that, as you said, Fulham can save money. But, yeah, it's a, it, it is a tricky one. But it, the whole thing, the fact makes... Me feel very uncomfortable, um, but at the end of the day, I think most people, if you're actually looking for the blame for, for where this has come from, it's, it's, it's FIFA's rules at the end of the day. So it is, it is a tricky one. It is a very, yeah. very tricky one. I mean, there are, there are rules being put in place and Shakhtar you know, are looking at doing FIFA, not the clubs that are taking advantage of said ruling, which probably says something to it. But you look at some of the other moves that have gone, gone down. Obviously, David Neres, who played against us in that game, signed from Shakhtar for... Benfica for you know a fee of just over 10 million euros. Fiorentina today have completed a deal for Dodo, the right back, 14 million euros. It, you know, the, there are deals still going through with Shakhtar. It's not everybody who's gone, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. We'll take advantage of it. Um, you know, you can see that some clubs have gone, yeah, maybe it's best just to pay this. And, you know, obviously the situations are different at every different club, but it's just to kind of point out that not everyone has gone, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Um, there are plenty of clubs who have still gone out there and and paid Shakhtar their, the transfer fees they think are, are fair for, for said players, even if they are a little bit under the value of what they might have been if this whole situation wasn't in place. But is there a case that because of Solomon's length of contract, which is why Fulham are able to do this, because they know that by the time the loan ends, then there'll be six months left. I don't know what the contract sure, situation but, was like with those other two players that you mentioned. Well, you, do, you have to point out, though, that if that happens and Fulham go, OK, cool, we'll sign him on a pre-contract, do we have to then wait to December to get him back? Yeah. Like, so that's a bit nuts as well, um, unless they then pay a fee to get him out of that contract early. Um, which can happen, and but you'd imagine that if Shakhtar feel messed around by things, they're probably not going to be as 
you know, willing to work with Fulham on these things if that is to be the case. Because, you know, you sign him on a year's loan, he does really well, let's say, and Fulham go, right, wicked, he wants to stay, we'll activate the pre-contract. And then he has to go back to Shakhtar for six months. Seems a bit weird as a kind of way of doing business. If it was the contract was ending next summer and Fulham would be able to then snap him up, like you, it's still not morally great, but like you could understand the logic of it a little bit more. This doesn't quite even add up in that kind of sense. So there, there's a lot of questions to be answered, I think. Well, it looks like anyway, for those that wanted to make sure Mana Solomon was over the line, I think him appearing, as uh, as Jack and Peter said, in a training top um, in the stands is is as good as signs. Um, elsewhere, Dom, it's been really slow again on the rumours front. Uh, I think last week's podcast, we were quite excited because Andreas Pereira was over the line. We knew that Solomon was getting there. And I remember thinking, right, we've got some momentum here. And the last week has just fallen completely flat. As you mentioned, it looks like the Issa Diop deal, that's seeming pretty unlikely. Leno's gone on the preseason tour with Arsenal. We debated whether that would happen on last week's podcast. It has. Um, Mbabu is maybe the closest, but again, it's it's all quite quiet. And yeah, the lack of centre-back rumours, particularly now of Diop's looking like it could be off the table, and that's just speculation. We don't have any firm proof that it is. I'm getting, I haven't pressed the panic button yet, but um, I'm hovering over it. Yeah, I'm getting quite close to it. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, with the, with the especially with the Mbappé and Leno deals, I think, you know, if you spoke just a week ago, like, oh yeah, we've we've agreed terms with Leno, we just need to work out what Arsenal want for the fee. Um, and then with Mbappé, I think it was the opposite. I think it was like, we'd agreed a fee with Wolfsburg, but it was the personal terms with um, Kevin Mbappé himself. But yeah, it is worrying the sort of lack of activity we've heard in the last seven days. Because, you know, it's like we've lost all advantage of getting automatic promotion. Because, you know, the, the whole point was, oh, we've won the playoff final the last two times, so we haven't had enough time to know what league we're going to go be in to, know, to do our transfer activity. To be honest, we've known, I, I, well, I'm not saying we, it's been guaranteed, but I think I started thinking, okay, this is, we've basically guaranteed promotion when we beat Swansea 5-1. I know it wasn't guaranteed to the Preston game. We didn't guarantee we in the league until the Luton game. But even since then, it's, it was like, that's the time to start getting your business, not done, but start get 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 everything moving in motion. And they, again, they're leaving it late once again. I know we, we haven't even entered the last month for the window yet, but still the whole point of us being happy with what it is because it gives us more time to work out what transfers we need for this season. And that simply isn't happening. And I th- if it's just Tony Khan trying to get players cheaper than that they're worth, then that's, that's, just, that's just not good enough. Just pay them the money which you know they're worth. You know, Bert Leno... I know he's only got one year left on his contract, but you know he would he would start for any t- most teams in the top ten as their as their goalkeeper. Um, and Babu it clearly needs we clearly need another right back because although I love Kenny Teta, his his injury record isn't the greatest, and the lack of link with centre backs is worrying. I don't you don't want another repeat of what happened at the start of last season when we got torn to pieces by Arsenal and Aston Villa because our defence wasn't up to scratch with the new signings yet. Yeah, Jack, you said you were close to that panic button um at what point will you press it i i mean it, it's a hard one just one of those where you have to try and remain calm right and try and try and kind of get behind whatever team comes out on that first day you have to get behind and that's how it is that's what supporting a club is but you can still be you know concerned and, and i am concerned about the real lack of i think the lack of credible rumors towards center backs is, is the thing right if, if fulham were out here and obviously i'm not suggesting we go and get linked with every center back under the sun and end up signing an injured have a norvite on on loan but you know there is an element of you know you tend to find with with these things that rumors start to spread and you know especially being in and around it you, you do tend to hear about these things here and there and there just doesn't seem to be, bar the Diop rumour, which again, as we've talked about, might might have, have had the kind of clappers put on it by circumstances outside of our control. It just feels like there isn't really any, you know, anything credible going on. Now, look, if Fulham were a side where all of our business got done out of the blue in the way that like, let's say Liverpool do, and suddenly you're like, oh, that's happened. And, and it happens and you get announced and everyone's like, whoa, I didn't know that. But we're not. You know, every single, ru- every single transfer that's come in, there've been rumours for weeks ahead of the transfer getting done because you know clearly there are there are i'm not saying leaks are a bad thing in this regard it's not it's not a ship um but there are clearly like you know versions of this that come out and agents that we're working with want to push prices up etc etc and these things do get out and what fulham 
have is is, is not any real credible links and that to centre backs, and we haven't had really for a couple of weeks, and that is a worry, I think, for me. That's that's where you're you're looking at it. And look, I think some of these players that are coming in, Polinia in particular, I think is a brilliant signing. I think Mbabu is, is a good player and, and will improve us in terms of squad depth. Ruben Vinagre is the one that also seems to be kind of ticking along quietly. Um, that one, I think, would be a, a good addition as well. Um, a good a good left back, although I'm sure we'll come on to him, that he's not, he's not perfect. Um, but you know, you tend to find that these things start to be thrown around a little bit. There's a few links for Maxwell Cornet. There's been a little bit of murmuring around Emmanuel Dennis. But, you know, at the, at the point where we are and where we're sitting right now, we haven't seen Fulham go from zero to 100 on a transfer really quick for some time, right? You know, we haven't seen any of these come out of the blue and go, okay, apart from on deadline day. And that worries me because I think, you know, with, you know, a week and a half, until that Villarreal friendly where we'd really want to be seeing a squad vaguely in its kind of entirety before the week before, two and a half weeks to this Liverpool game, I, I think that we should, you know, we, we need to be having, you know, there needs to be one or two more in the door before then. And one of them at the very least needs to be a centre-back. And the fact that we haven't even heard murmurings of these things scares me. One thing that's also quite important, and I, I suppose we haven't really necessarily discussed it, is the fact that this season, particularly as we lead up to the World Cup, is a bit more condensed than a normal Premier League season. So in terms of the time you get to work with your players, it's actually going to be reduced. You know, the number of midweek games is is higher than it is normally. Um, so if you are bringing in players late, you're not going to get those week-long periods that Fulham have enjoyed previously in, in the Premier League. Um, and I know and we've talked about this before about, you know, doing transfers late because the later you do it, it means you can, you can get better deals. More players become available because clubs get their stuff in a row. But the, the, the point has to be that you've got to have a squad that's capable of hitting the ground running from the start. And I don't think Fulham are close to that yet, particularly at the back, as we've talked about defensively. I mean, there's always room to make some good additions late because of what can happen. And it doesn't help that Fulham's position when you look at the market is quite broad in terms of, Go, they'll have a wide net of players. They'll want to aim high. And we've seen that with some of the players that they've sort of been linked with. They want to aim as high as they can. Um, and different players will sort of fall into their sort of remit of, of targets because of their availability or where else, where else they do and don't go. But there has to be a balance. You know, you have to have a basic a sense of like, this is the squad we have. This is the squad we're going to have for the start. And then we will make some good additions on top of it. And at the moment, as Jack says, it doesn't, doesn't look like that's the case because it has been, it has been quiet. Um, I've just been trying to wrap my brains in terms of things that are concrete. And I think that's the point, isn't it? It's things that have actually, you know, sort of stepped forward rather than in speculating. I know, you know, Fulham have interest in like Levi Colwell, for example, at Chelsea, but he's also wanted by a number of people. We mentioned Diop, um, who they made an offer for, but now that looks like it could be trickier. It's, it is difficult. Um, but what I would say is that I think Bournemouth are in a similar situation in terms of their recruitment. Um, not that you want to be comparable in terms of what Fulham have in terms of financial firepower, but it's it's there. Fulham aren't alone on this front. Whereas no. the contrast, of course, is Nottingham Forest have have gone out and have gone for players that, and I think we talked about this last time. They're sort of players that could, if they they could do really well, there's room for growth in the Premier League. But if they don't and they go down, then they're going to be in a strong position to come straight back up. So. Um, Maybe different scenarios in terms of what the clubs are aiming for, but the bottom line is is, is who you've got. And right now on Fulham's pre-season tour in Portugal, they haven't probably got the squad that Marcus Silva would want. I think the you know addition to that is that I, I agree with you that Bournemouth, I think, in a similar place in terms of recruitment, and I think they're in a worse place in terms of squad, um, just coming up from last season. But you do look at that and you think, well, you need three teams to be worse than you, right? And it's not just one. You need to be beating. Ideally, you need to be ahead of the two teams you come up with. And then you hope that someone else gets dragged down into it. Everton can't seem to sign anyone to save their lives. So, you know, at the moment, that looks like a bit of a mess. There's a couple of clubs who are in a, a strange situation. But one of the deals that kind of has not passed me by, but it kind of has gone under the radar a little bit, is that Chris Richards from Bayern Munich, US international, has just signed for Crystal Palace, or is just about to sign for Crystal Palace, for about 14, 15 million euros. Um, he's 22. He can play in three different positions. Um, he's kind of just struggled to break into the Bayern first team, but has had a couple of good loan spells. Um, and, you know, we have a US connection. 
at Fulham, right? We have a centre-back here in Tim Ream who has spent an inordinate amount of time with this, with this national team. If Chris Richards is on the market, Fulham should be going for Chris Richards. It's, it's as simple as that. Like, it's just one of those things that you look at and you go, yeah, that makes sense. He's a ball-playing centre-back who is, you know, strong on, the, on both feet, but especially off his left, um, and would be an improvement on this squad for about the 14 million euros. So 12, 11, 12 million pounds. That's the kind of deal that Fulham need to be looking at. And, and if that's gone and slipped under, uh, slipped away and slipped under that, that's the kind of thing that you're going, ah, we should have been in that conversation. Now, the, the other thing we could have done there is promised in first team football, which Palace can't. Um, you know, with the kind of squad that they have right now with Gay and Anderson playing the way that they are, they can't sit there and go, you're going to start every game. Fulham could. Fulham could come in and be like, okay, you know, barring terrible performances, you can come in and be a first choice centre back. And that should, you know, it's another part of London he's gone to. It, these things all add up and you're thinking, okay, is that one we could have, we could have been involved with? And look, I'm not here to be, say, suggest that, that, that all that all transfers are going to work out. And, you know, that one, it just felt like that one in particular for that fee from Bayern Munich, from a place where, you know, he's learned to win and worked under some of the best coaches in the game. It feels like a no-brainer, um, and, and and that's kind of you also where don't I stand want a like a uh, what-if situation. Let's say we sign players we're all linked with, and uh, there's a couple of standouts coming, but it's after you know August the sixth, or it's even it's, it's even after you know it's in the last week of the window. Um, you don't want them don't want them to be in the what-if situation at the upcoming end of the season where you finish 18th and you're like four points off safety, where you were thinking what happened if we sign them players before. We play Liverpool. What happens if we sign them players and they were on the preseason towards Portugal? You don't want to be in that situation where it takes them that month to bed in. Then if it takes them a month to bed in, you've got like then you've then got that international break at the end of September. Then you've only got what another two months before it breaks up for the World Cup. So I just don't know what the club's plan has been for the transfer window this season. It seems to be the same, and we don't seem to be learning from the mistakes whatsoever. Jack, we got an email that I was going to say for the third part, but it seems pretty pertinent to mention it now. TJ Fogarty says, Hi all, after the disappointing results against Benfica, it's obvious that we need at least one new centre-back. Um, Dan Axel Zagadou is available on a free right now. He was on TIFO's sensible transfers list for us. And while his injury history may be a cause for concern, he's only 23 and his skill ceiling is very high. Honestly though, I just want him because this will catch on will be pure chaos for the first few months after he signs. <laughs> and that's from TJ. <laughs> I've been saying that he needed to come to the Premier League for years because of the Zagadu, the Agadu chant. Um, Amazing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Purely just want him on the Tifo, name. But. Tifo sensible transfers is usually a good place to start if you're looking at, you know, teams and, and trying to build them out for out for things. And, you know, we've seen actually a couple of players. Kaladu Koulibaly for Chelsea was their sensible transfer that Tifo, you know, suggested for that side. Um, they've gone on and made that transfer and everyone's incredibly happy about it. I think Zagadou would be a brilliant addition. Um, yes, an injury record that you're a little bit concerned about, but equally, um, I don't know, if, you know how much of, of Dortmund you've watched, but pretty much everyone has had injury issues at Dortmund over the last two, three years. Um, it seems to have overtaken coaches. Everyone just seems to struggle with what Dortmund end up doing for their training regime. So uh, I'm not going to completely hold that one against him at, at this rate. I think he's a really good player. Um, yes, has had a difficult couple of years, but is definitely not in the plans there. It would make a whole lot of sense. Maybe there's a curse like there is in Ted Lasso. Mm, maybe, maybe. I'm watching that at the moment, by the way, mate. I've, very uh, I've, good. Taken, I've taken your recommendation on Ted Lasso. I'm at the end of series one. It's, um, it's very enjoyable. I mean, it's completely unrealistic. And the um, I literally watched the episode yesterday where they went and played at Goodison Park and then showed the facade of Craven Cottage, which is like, how hard would it have been to just get a shot of Goodison Park. I don't know why you had to <laughs> pretend like Craven Cottage was Goodison Park. I'm sure there was a reason, but that was a little bit odd. But yeah, it's very, very enjoyable, Jack. So I appreciate the recommendation on that. Right, we're going to take another break. Afterwards, we're going to get into this sponsorship and a quick this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Jack Collins, Dom Bett and Peter Rutzler. Uh, since the last podcast on ticket prices, the club has announced uh, their prices for the Brentford and the Brighton games. Um, the Brentford game still pretty expensive. £50 cheapest ticket if you want to sit in the Hammersmith end, £55 if you want to sit in the Putney end. Uh, the Brighton game, though, much more reasonable. £30 cheapest ticket in the, uh, in the Hammersmith end, which personally very pleased to see I guess kind of what I would love is a, is a slight middle ground there not that I'm advocating more expensive tickets but it, I feel like the Brentford one's pretty high but 
credit where credit's due. Um, the Brighton is cheaper than 18 out of the 19 games in our last Premier League season with fans. So it feels like a, a step in the right direction there, but I think still more pressure on the club. And uh, if you haven't filled in the Fulham Supporters Trust ticket price survey, please do. Uh, there will be a link in this podcast. You can also find a link on the Fulham Supporters Trust website. Um, uh, they've got up to 1,800 signatures, I believe. There's a few days left on it as well. And and effectively, the more fans that they can get to fill in the survey, the bigger a mandate it gives to the club. And um, it's hopefully going to be something that will just keep ramping up the pressure on, on ticket prices. Um, I know that there's differing views on all sides, but certainly the more opinions that the club gets, the better, I think. So yeah, head to the Fulham Sports Trust website, or as I say, there's a link in this podcast description. Uh, right. Um, W88, this was a bit of a surprising bit of news that came out on Tuesday night that the Premier League handbook was released. Now, the Premier League handbook um, is an official document released by the Premier League and it wasn't leaked. This was just published legitimately. And it's not really for fans. It's, It's a guidebook with all of the key details of the rules, the official rules of the Premier League for the season. There's like contacts for each club. Um, it sometimes says what kits everyone's wearing and all the kind of stipulations. It's all, it's quite a dry document really, but essential for journalists, broadcasters, just any official really involved in the administration of the game. However, on Fulham's page, it revealed that Fulham's sponsor for the upcoming season will be W88, which is a bookmaker. Um, I believe from my research, they actually are based in the UK, but they are uh, mostly focused on the Asian market. We knew that World Mobile, which was last season's sponsor, was dropping to the training kit and the sleeve. Not massively surprising. That often happens that uh, the, the price and the, the cost of the sponsorship uh, goes up massively. Um, when you get to the top flight. Uh, Surprising though, it was leaked in this way. Clearly something gone wrong somewhere because by the time that Wednesday morning came around, they'd re-updated the Premier League handbook and the sponsor said to be advised. Um, Peter, it's uh, a move to a gambling sponsor. Lots of people will be very, very disappointed about that. Obviously the FST did a survey on this a couple of years ago where nearly 50% of uh, Fulham fans said they were uncomfortable with a gambling sponsor. Um... Sign of the times, I guess, really uh, disappointing in some ways, but lots of people will say that if the club gets an extra mill or whatever it is in their back pocket, they don't mind. It, it, people, are, people are split on this, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I mean, it looks set to be the case, doesn't it, that this will be the sponsor for the season. I think we have to bear in mind the context um, that the government have been trying to push through legislation to ban it. The Premier League have talked about wanting to phase it out themselves. Um, to phase out, sorry, having a gambling, gambling sponsors on shirts. Um, so it, it, it strikes me as a case of, you know, clubs like Fulham trying to almost cash in before you can't do it anymore. Yeah. Which probably means more, uh, a greater amount of money. Um, as you said, the sports trusted a survey last year where nearly 50% of supporters said they were uncomfortable with it. And on a practical level, if you're a kid, you, you can't actually buy those, the same shirts as what you're, your heroes are wearing so uh, that that's one of the main sort of gripes with it isn't it really and, and the fact that you're you're advertising gambling and and the consequences of that itself um but, but yeah i mean look i think it's i think the, the, the direction that of travel the premier league is going in and, and that will be forced to go in about removing them is, is a good thing in, in my personal opinion um obviously we haven't got there yet and um fulham have decided to partner with w88 potentially um who have, I think have been who have been the shirt sponsor for Wolves, Villa, and most recently Crystal Palace. I think Crystal Palace actually um, ended their sponsorship with them uh, quite recently. So um, it will be a controversial one, but I think the the financial aspect of the last the last hurrah kind of thing before it can't be possible anymore. Yeah, yeah, Dom. It looks like Crystal Palace dropped W88 in order to not have uh, an association with a gambling company anymore. Um, do you agree that it's right that clubs shouldn't be having gambling sponsors? And is it a kind of indication of where Fulham are that they're happy, despite the current climate being pretty negative towards gambling sponsors on the whole, that they're willing to face the backlash in return for the extra cash? 
I said, I'm not someone who's anti-gambling sponsors. I see why people are, but I'm not someone who's against the idea of having one on on the front on the front of a Fulham shirt. But my my whole problem is it is just like read the room. Like you've got fans who are not happy with the transfer business being done. They have been really slow. You've got fans not happy with the ticket pricing situation after the Liverpool prices were released and we had the Brentford tickets come out today, which I still think are still. I think the Brighton level of tickets is sort of where near enough where it should be. And then, so I'm I'm not against the idea of us being sponsored by a gambling company. Um, but then we, when you're getting sponsored by one who, you know, always said basically our focus on the Asian markets and, you know, clubs who have ended sponsorship with them, it's not, it's just, I was, did the club do not, did the club not sort of realise what the reaction from this sort of thing is going to be from the fan base or do the likes of Alistair McIntosh, Tony Khan, whoever's sort of negotiating these commercial deals, not really care what the fans think. I think the latter. I really, really do just think the latter these days that it's all about this bottom line. It's all about FFP. It's all about getting a few extra pennies here and there. And I mean, it, it seems to be so prevalent these days, jagging all walks of life that just anger and, and discontent online subsides, just kind of crack on, put your head down and, and just accept the PR backlash. And it'll be yesterday's news by the, by the time that any impact or any real um, damage can be done. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty much on Dom's page with it, really. Um, it's not, you know, something that um, for, for me is, is the game changer, but I understand that there's plenty of people whose, you know, lives have been put on back burners and, and have been taken apart by by addictions to gambling and therefore the publication of it is is difficult for so many people and I double down on Peter's point I think that for kids not being able to wear the same shirt as their you know their sponsor their their heroes is a real real shame but wasn't it Celtic last season Jack where you could buy a non-gambling sponsored home shirt. yeah you can buy a kit without the sponsor yeah um and you could just yeah it was it was the same price etc and you could buy adult ones you know kids one whatever you know it would did kind of pan out across the board. I would say that there is a certain amount of hypocrisy to the FA and, you know, trying to ban gambling sponsors on shirts when they have the Skybet Championship as one of their products. Um, So there, you know, there are plenty of levels of of hypocrisy within football. That's nothing new. Um, But, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to start imposing things on clubs, I think maybe they have to look at a little bit closer to home first. And I know, you know, Spain have done this. They've, they have banned gambling sponsors by all accounts this season. Um, it looks like Serie A are going to do the same as well, you know, quite soon. So there, uh, this does seem to be the direction of travel, as was pointed out. Um, but I do think there's a lot of there's a lot of hypocrisy in 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 the higher echelons of English football. I think there's tons of hypocrisy everywhere. You'll hear yeah, Sky yeah. talk about it, and they'll push Sky Bet as hard as they can apart from outside the advertised windows i'm also kind of conscious not to come on here and 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 slate gambling because we have accepted sponsor uh, gambling sponsors in the past yeah. we we try to avoid it now as as best as we can sometimes it's put in without our knowledge it's it's a horrible horrible murky world out there and i, I guess at the end of the day it's personal decisions but i think what we can all accept is that seeing gambling sponsors does make it harder for recovering gambling addicts to avoid temptation and when it is so in your face when it's so everywhere you can't just watch any kind of ad break particularly in a football match without um ray what's his name um winston Winston, I nearly said Lewington, yeah. Winston shoving odds down your throat saying bet and play now. It must be horrific. And I've watched um, the Lloyd Griffiths documentary on the BBC where he talked about gambling addictions and he did a brilliant interview with uh, the British comedian John Robbins who said, yeah, when I see gambling adverts, it is it, particularly on, on shirts, on the TV, whatever, when I, I can't escape it, it makes recovering from gambling addictions, which has ruined his life and has ruined so many lives, um, all that tougher to come back from. So my personal opinion, I'm not so against this that I would demonstrate to my heart's intent, but also I fully see where people are coming from. And it probably is just right that it's legislated out of the game and, and, and avoids the, the temptation that the clubs have to take the money that 
that is on offer. But what I do know is that as soon as gambling is outlawed, there will be a new wave of sponsors that will eventually come in and fill the void of the kind of dirty money. Um, seems like crypto is the next and NFTs is the next place that it's going to. And, and, and if they ban gambling, I bet you that half the EFL will suddenly be sponsored by crypto blockchain websites. I don't understand. Bring it back pizza. That's what I say. Yeah. I want Starburst as our next. Something just, I mean, even that you could argue is obesity and sweets. There's no winning, is there? There's, Until a, it, there's, a, there's a thing in the, obviously in the hundred in the cricket where all of the sponsors are crisps and peanuts, et cetera, aren't they? They're, um, they're all they're KP all snacks, aren't they? All yeah, KP snacks, yeah. It, it, you know, it's just, there's something quite, I don't know. Maybe it's wrong as well, but there's well, something George quite- George Rose peanuts across the throat of a Fulham shirt. I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't mind, you know, Tato's sponsoring Fulham, do you know what I mean? Well, it would be apt considering our right back. So, um, I mean, we did something really silly on Fulhamish over the summer where we uh, mocked up a couple of kits with uh, uh, different sponsors. I think um, one of them was... uh, pizza express one of them was uh mr kipling but even then we did it as a joke and we said cathedral city completely unbeknown that cathedral city's embroiled in its own um scandal at the moment with uh, what it's done with its plants down in cornwall and in fact it's polluted um the local area so it's it is a real minefield and um i don't know what the solution is basically what i'm trying to say uh right one quick this will catch on uh before we finish today's podcast uh, Peter's got to head down to Margate tonight for the under-23s match, so uh, we need to get the podcast wrapped up as soon as possible. Uh, this one is from D.D. Hewton. Um, great name. Uh, he says, Gentlemen, outlandish that you never played my Serge O'Brien. This will catch on last season. I can only assume that because I sent it on the WhatsApp and not the email that you didn't play it, which is absolutely right. We don't check the WhatsApps that um much but i do check the emails so that is exactly why he uh dd says joe deserves a song joe deserves a statue joe, joe deserves the world play the song i commute 10 hours in a car every week from the north to the south as See i'm in joe the army Bryan. um so apologies for the awful quality but as previously mentioned i'm lazy so i'm not recording it again keep up your fantastic work he says and that is from dd so this is uh, a, a this will catch on for Joe Bryan, who, by the way, needs to wish um, a speedy recovery. He said on Instagram today um, that he broke his hand, um, which obviously not great for the beginning of the season. So best wishes, Joe. Hope that uh, heals soon. Maybe your recovery will be made all the more easier by hearing this next. This will catch on. We've got a lad who's really smart, Joe Bryan. Joe Bryan. His goal like Wembley was like art. Joe Bryan. Joe Bryan. Mitra scores us 40 goals and Captain Ken, he's made a gold. But we've got Sir Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan. He loves to read, he likes his books, Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan. Give him a statue with good looks, Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan. Mitro scores us 40 goals and Captain Ken, he's made a gold. But we've got Sir Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan. I don't know how that's, that's, how's that how's that song ends, is it? Um, <laughs> I think it's going to go like down the left or something. <laughs> Brian down the left, and then, should, like, then you could have at least gone on with the la 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 la. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. <laughs> I think his ten hours a week is sending him a bit mad. I, I, you know what? I, I had a good time, uh, and that's what you want from a. That's what you want from this catch on, isn't it? I had a good time. Yeah, I did have a good time. Dom, your thoughts? Are you going to be trying to sing that at the back of H5? Yeah, there's no uh, chance that Fulham are ever singing a song that's got two verses in it. They can just about do <laughs> one. If not even that, even half a verse, you know. I mean, yeah. And everyone's in, everyone's any, right at different ends at that point as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's most English teams, to be fair. Most English teams can't deal with a chant that's longer than one verse anyway. It's just, it involves too much brain capacity. So, um, yeah, it's it, it sounds, it's not the worst I've heard. I'll I'll give them that. Oh, that's a compliment, I think. Uh, Peter? Was there a syllables issue that's been bugging me? You know, just sort of... Uh, I mean, I feel that there was, there was multiple issues, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah syllables I, was I, one I, of them. I mean, maybe I'm overlooking other, other areas, but... No, fine. You know, why not? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was it. fun. You know, I'm, I'm going to give it some, some credence. I, I enjoyed myself. 
Right, that's the main thing it's all about having fun and i had a lot of fun so dd thanks for sending it in and uh, good luck on the uh, commutes um right that is all for the podcast today uh the last thing that we need to do is name it so as ever go into the fulhamish community when there's not uh, a match uh, or a three-word review uh, section to use uh jack kelly one of our own said ben freaker <laughs> yeah very good <laughs> Orgy Lamsick said, sign CB now, uh, which uh, sound like a very uh, frustrated uh, three word review nomination. Uh, Nathan Tambini said, Marco's Portuguese pals. But I think we'll go for this one from Avas Malik, who says, waiting for signings. <laughs> what, well, as in WA-ating? Yeah, W eight eighteen for signings. So yeah. I think that will be the podcast name today. Thank you very much, Avas, and to the rest of you in the community uh, for getting involved and uh, giving us our three word reviews uh, when we don't have uh, a tweet or an Instagram to fall back on. I don't think there's a pod this weekend. Not sure, which I've realised is not the certainty that you need at this moment in time. We're playing Estoril. Uh, we'll announce on Twitter if there is going to be a pod, though. If there isn't, though, there'll definitely be a thursday club this time next week we'll be looking ahead to that final pre-season game against villarreal fingers crossed uh, there'll be another signing or two uh, to talk about and please at least some centre-back rumors that would uh, make everything a lot better but uh, thank you to my guest don betts thank you it's all right mate i feel like maybe in the next pre-season we need I don't know. I need you locked up again or getting arrested or something like that. I feel like it was, it was growing up. No, I'm just saving myself a guitar, mate. Oh, I won't be making it back from there. We won't be getting it back then. So there's not going to yeah. be another preseason. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> the World Cup, the Middle East will be Tom's resting place. Uh, Jack, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Appreciate it. And Peter, thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. Thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure. And uh, enjoy Margate. Enjoy the games night. I will. I will. Lovely weather for it. Yeah, okay. Uh, see you next week. Come on, you whites. You whites. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. And on today's podcast, Dom's diaries from Portugal, all the reaction to the double header against Nice and Portugal. <laughs> Put that in at the end. Yeah. <laughs> nice and Portugal. That would have been a tough game, in fairness. Yeah, I, I would have hated to see the score, considering how bad we were against Benfica. <laughs> there you go, list, pod listeners, right to the end. You've got an extra 30 seconds of gold. <laughs>